be in the house of God. Good to be with you. Um, I want to thank uh, your pastor for his gracious invitation to speak. Um, pastor Sean and I go back a little way. Uh, I think uh, we got here around about 2001. And by 2002, I met Sean. And uh, uh, for this, this time, this entire time, what is it about? It's over 20, what is it, 23 years? 20, 22, 23 years. We'll just say it's over 20 years. Uh, we have known each other uh, on multiple levels. You know, you really get to know somebody when you interface with them over uh, a long period of time. He and his family, uh, when my kids got here, they were, they were more or less toddlers. And uh, I don't know, what, did you have kids when I met you? He had just one. It was really small. Okay, yeah. So uh, he's been busy. Yeah. What do you mean? Only two. <laughs> uh, so uh, it's, uh, it's, it's good to see him here. You know, when I, I heard he was coming here, um, I know that you got a, a good one. Amen. It's on. Yeah, I know that you got a, a, a good pastor. And uh, I know in this time, uh, you've already seen in this very short time, he's a dynamo. Amen. He gets moving, doesn't he? That's right, that's right. He hasn't even gotten started yet. Amen. So uh, uh, it's, it's good to see uh, the work that is done, how he's developed and, and grown as a pastor uh, over time. Uh, we, we worked together early. In fact, he worked with me at Richardson for a while, unofficially. Um, but I was overjoyed when uh, the Texas Conference decided finally to, uh, to employ him full time. So Sean is a dynamic guy. Um, many of you may know that he has been a teacher, he's been a lecturer, he's done a lot of things, bright mind. Was it math or science? Math. Anyone who teaches math, well, okay, you got my respect. You got my respect. So again, good to be in the house of God and good to share the word of God with the people of God on the day that he said that we should be together. So I want to get into this and uh, talk to you about topic, Abraham's lot. Abraham's lot. Heavenly Father, as we move into your word, we ask for you to please do something with us. Do not let these words fall on deaf ears. We pray, Heavenly Father, that you will move through this congregation and that the power of your Holy Spirit will be felt. So hide me behind your cross so that you are the only one who is seen, known, and heard. And at the end, Heavenly Father, let lives be changed for you. Let them call you blessed. And Lord, let the transformation begin. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Let everybody say, Amen. Amen. I want to speak to you about Abraham's lot, a little bit about Abraham's story. Because in the book of Abraham, well, not the book of Abraham, in Genesis, in the story of Abraham, we're introduced to the dynamics that most of us will be familiar with. Because it's about families. And in fact, these are lessons from a family at risk. A family at risk, the importance of parents, 
The importance of mothers and fathers, the importance of extended family are all displayed in this particular story and the character of Lot. Perhaps the most important thing that this story reveals for us is that we must be present. We must be fully present. So I want you to turn to Genesis chapter 12, and we're reading verse 1, but we'll be going through Genesis 13 as the story unfolds. But I want us to focus in on Genesis chapter 12 and verse 1. When you found it, you know what to say. Amen. amen. I see some of you saying amen. You haven't found a thing. <laughs> when you found it, say amen. amen. Amen? All right. So I don't know. Some of you got to tap and swipe, turn, whatever you have to do. Let's get there. We'll read as a family. Genesis 12 and verse 1. Now the Lord had said unto Abraham, Get thee out of thy country, and from your kindred, from your father's house into a land that I will show you. And Abraham went up out of Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and Lot with him into the south. There's a story told about a husband and wife. Uh, prior to getting married, they had some marriage counseling. And they decided that he'd make all the major decisions and she would make all the minor decisions. So they agreed on that. And after 20 years of marriage, uh, someone asked them how this arrangement worked in reality. And he responded, it's been great because in all these years I've never made a major decision. <laughs> Families and marriages are important. God has special attention focused on families. In fact, the, the whole plan of salvation is unfolded and unpacked for us in a marriage scene. If you pay attention to Revelation and all throughout the Bible, it talks about a bride being adorned for her husband. It talks about children and husbands and wives. Now Abraham was a prosperous and successful man. He came from a wealthy family and lived in a place known for its affluence. It was known for its culture. It was known for its history. The great city of Ur was the center of civilization. Perhaps it was something like Dallas or New York or Washington, but it was a major center for people and for knowledge and education. And we're introduced to Abraham in Genesis 12.1 as a man of wealth and a man of comfort. He had no reason to change anything about his life. None. He wasn't looking for a career change. He wasn't looking for a job promotion. He wasn't looking for a house in a more opulent neighborhood. You know what I'm saying. He wasn't looking for any more symbols of success. In fact, Abraham was content when God came to him. So when we're introduced to Abraham, he is a man called by God. And Abraham's call was a mandate so now pay attention. It was a mandate to separate himself from everything that made him comfortable. Genesis 12.1, it says, get out of your country. It says, move away from your family. It says, come out of your father's house. It didn't mean necessarily that he lived inside the same house. What it meant is that he lived under the ark of his father's influence, the family business. 
He was a grown man. He had his own children. He had his own life, but he was under the ark of his family. Come out of your father's house and then go to a land, address unknown. I'll just show you when you get there. And many of you have received a similar mandate from the master, and you may be thinking about how all of this works, because at some stage in your life, uh, some of us who have come to America, we felt a call that the Lord may have said, get out. Go to a land that you don't know. Leave your family behind and come into a place, and I will show you what you will do with your life. Some of us can resonate with Abraham's story. But even if you never had to leave and you were born here, you will resonate as we go through. You see, the call to follow Christ always comes with a price tag. It always comes with something that we must yield over to God. God has called each of us to let go of something in order to hold on to him. Jesus echoes the same principle in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 37. He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. So the question is, is it worth it to follow Christ? Is it worth it? Oh, that's a real question. Do you think it's worth it to follow Christ? In Matthew 19, 29, it says, And every one that has forsaken houses, or brethren, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands, for my name's sake shall receive a hundredfold and inherit everlasting life. That's a big promise. Shall receive a hundredfold, Pastor? And inherit eternal life? Now, I only have one wife. I don't know if that means a hundredfold. I love my wife, but, but I wouldn't like to have a hundred. I wouldn't like to have more than one, to be honest with you. What does God mean exactly? Well, we, we don't know. All we know is that eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor has it entered into the imagination of human beings what God has in store for his children. In Psalms 27, 10, it says, When my father and my mother forsake me, the Lord will take me up. In Ephesians 5, 31 to 32, it says, And for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Encapsulated in everything that we know as mothers and fathers, as brothers and sisters, as aunts and uncles, as sons and daughters, everything we know is encapsulated in the story of Christ. And in all the narratives in the Bible, you will notice that God does not hide the dirty linen. God opens for you what really went on in the family, what really happened. And I believe this story is central. You see, the life of Abraham is important because it's about faith, and it's about relationships, it's about influence, but it's also about risk. Our choices carry consequences. They carry an everlasting impact on those you love and on you yourself. Abraham and Lot were family. They were kindred. 
They shared a special relationship. Lot was the son of Abraham's deceased brother, Haran. Genesis 11.27, it says, Now these are the generations of Terah. Terah begat Abram, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran begat Lot. So they're trying to place in your mind exactly who Lot is. He is a direct connection with Abraham. This is his uncle. And when his father died, he assumed responsibility for Lot. And we learned that it was a bond of love. In Genesis 12, 4, it says, So Abraham departed as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. And Abraham was 75 years old when he departed out of Haran. Now, I want you to know something else in the story. The backstory of Abraham is that Haran was not the destination. And you'll notice from the, the, the scripture reading, and you notice from, from just being biblically educated, that Abraham came from Babylon. But then he departs out of Haran. You see, on his way out of Babylon, they came to Haran, and Haran was a very popular place. It was very plentiful. It was a beautiful place to be, very verdant. Anything could grow there. So his father thought it was a good idea for them to stay there. But he was told, get out of your father's house. But we learn that a whole lot of the household, in fact, the entire household left with Abraham. Because Abraham buries his father in Haran. And it's when his father died that he left Haran because God never told him to stay in Haran. He says, go to a place that I will show you. And for some of us, we have to come from under the shadow of somebody or our parents in order for you to fulfill your commission and grow up in Christ and be who it is God has called you to be. Because even though he was grown, he was in Haran for years. Buried his father there, and then it says in this passage, then he and Lot and all they had left. And then he began his journey a second time. You see, it's real life. You make plans, but stuff gets jacked up. <laughs> you make plans, but then things switch and change. And then you have to reroute. And for most of us, we never would have imagined that we would be here at this time or that relationally the dynamics that have happened in our family would ever happen. But life happens. Stuff happens. And you've got to reroute. Have you ever been in a car using a GPS, whether your phone or the, the one built in? Okay, you know where I'm going. And then you miss the turn. Uh, in my case and with most pastors as we're talking to someone on the phone and driving, we're probably like, oh, hang on a minute. And then you wait for the phone, the phone or the GPS to what? Reroute. To get you back on track. Because that's life, isn't it? Uh, Abraham experienced the exact same thing. Still under the influence of his father. Everybody agreed they probably had a family vote. Let's stay in Haran. It looks good. Yeah, okay. And Abraham's probably, oh, man, you know, I'm not supposed to make this decision. But I'll go along anyway because it's my family. It's good to see when we recognize in the characters of the Bible, the patriarchs of the Bible, that they are very much like us. We have to reroute. I don't know an adult who has never had to reroute and reroute and retread and retrain and do something that they never imagined to do. But to get back on track with God is the most important thing that you can do. So Lot, 
goes with him. As he moves out. And they went forth to go to the land of Canaan. It says, and into the land of Canaan they came. Stay with me. So in Genesis 13, 1, and Abraham went out of Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and Lot was with him, into the south. By the time we get to 13, 5, we learn that Lot also, who went with Abraham, had flocks and herds and tents. And by association and family ties, he is already extremely wealthy as a young man. So they weren't broke to start with. But they were not only not broke, they were very rich. By today's standards, they would have been millionaires. And then Lot, who was younger, who was like Abraham's son, I'm sure he got his start from his uncle. I'm sure he, he said, okay, well, take some of these herds, and let me give you this herd man or two, and you stop that off. And he probably always saw the business until it got up and running and Lot was functional. So Lot is also wealthy, and it's important for you to understand that. But then often with wealth and prosperity comes separation. And, and strife began to develop between the herdmen of Lot and the herdsmen of Abraham. Genesis 13, 8. And Abraham said to Lot, let there be no strife, I pray you, between me and you, and between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, because we are brethren, we are family. Let's not fight. By the time we get to Genesis 13, 10, Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Lord, like unto Egypt, as you come to Zohar. What it's saying is this place was beautiful. Please don't miss this. Abraham was the one who was called by God. Abraham was the one who gave Lot his start. Abraham was the one who helped him generate wealth and build a business. Abraham was the one who treated him as his own son. And in Genesis 13, 8, Abraham gives up his privilege first. Lot, what do you think? Look out on all of this land and go in any direction you choose. But I want you to understand something about Eastern culture, which is very much like some of the culture sitting in this room. When his older uncle said, you look and you decide, the tradition is, no uncle, you look and you decide. And it may go something like this. His uncle may say, no, you're a young man with a young family. Why don't you look? But tradition says he should have said, no uncle, I insist. You brought me here. You raised me. Everything I have is because of you. Now I want you to take the first pick. That's what should have happened. And we know it should have happened because we know what the customs were at that time. But even today, logic and compassion and connection and family should tell you when someone older says, no, you go first as they open the door. What should you really do? No, you go first. I know some of that is lost in the time that we live in. Uh, but, but I want us to get real. We need to get back to some of that. Amen. So Lot lifts up his eyes. Lot is the one who is senior. Not uh, Abraham is the one who is senior. Lot, his uncle, is his guardian. As the one called by God into the inheritance. 
Lot would even be anywhere if it wasn't for Abraham. As the one with the divine covenant and agreement with God, according to custom, Lot should have deferred to Abraham. I'm going somewhere. Lot should have refused to choose first. Lot should have returned the offer back to his uncle. Genesis 13, 10, Lot lifted up his eyes and saw all the plain of Jordan that was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah like the garden of the Lord. Lot chose him in verse 11, all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated themselves from each other, and they were never back together the same ever again. The story doesn't end there. Now, I want you to follow me through with this story because I want to go somewhere very specific with you. The Lord said to Abraham, after Lot, after Lot had departed and separated from him, the Lord said to Abraham, lift up your eyes. And now look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward. It's important to know that Abraham waited for God to say, lift up your eyes. You see, your choices carry consequences. An everlasting impact on you and those who you love. When God tells us to lift up our eyes, he wants us to see differently than others see. To lift up your eyes comes from this root word in, in, in Hebrew. And it has a root and it says, to lift up your eyes is to regard yourself. When you lift up your eyes, it is to exalt yourself. Uh, the root definition is that Lot put himself first. Now that's obvious, but I just wanted those of you who are technocratic to know that in the language, in the way that it's written, it was saying that Lot lifted up his own eyes. But Abraham was told to lift his eyes up by God. There is a difference. Lot put himself first. He lifted up his eyes and was influenced by what he saw. Lot lifted up his eyes and his environment influenced his choices. Lot lifted up his eyes and he was influenced by only what he saw, it was sight alone. And he violated a most divine principle found in 2 Corinthians 5, 7. We walk by faith and not by You got it. What does that mean? We cannot judge everything by appearances alone, by what you see. We're not in this world to just look at stuff and say, well, that looks good, let's do it. Understand that there's always more to things than what can be seen. Trust God even when you can't see. Trust God even when you can't see him working in your life and you want things to change, but they seem to be the same. Life is kind of like a bamboo plant. If you know anything about bamboo plants, they, they grow as shoots and they stay small for a long time. But the reason they stay small for months and months and sometimes even for years before they grow is that they're developing a root structure because the root structure is setting them ready for exponential growth. Say exponential. Exponential growth. That's not they grow a couple inches every month because what happens with bamboo plants is that they can grow 10 or 20 feet in just a couple of days. 
after being shoots, but they could not sustain that growth without proper root structure. Now, what you're doing here with your pastor is you're laying down a root structure so that you can have exponential growth. So I want you to remember that as your pastor speaks with you about what you're doing to move forward and grow. You're already growing. Ten baptisms in like a couple months, that's crazy. Some churches don't do that in an entire year. But I digress. We cannot judge everything by appearances alone. You've got to trust God even when you can't see. Because we walk by faith and not by sight. Walking by faith and not by sight means that though we may not see God working right now, we trust that he is working on blessing us. But you need the root structure to support the blessing that he's going to put on your life. Because you know with every blessing there is a weight. With every blessing comes a responsibility. He will bring relief from what you are facing. But hold on and don't give up. It means that we keep rejoicing, keep praising him through the good times and even through hard times. Knowing that God is the one who is still in control. That's right. 1 Peter 1.8 it states, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe him. Uh, did you know that God's name is not mentioned once in the book of Esther? He's not mentioned once in the book of Esther. God is not mentioned. But he made Esther queen. God isn't mentioned, but he gave her courage. God isn't mentioned, but he softened the king's heart towards Mordecai at the right time. God is not mentioned, but he saved the Jews from impending annihilation. God is not mentioned. His name isn't mentioned once, but it's all over that book, the book of Esther. Sometimes God isn't even mentioned in our lives, but it's all over it. His fingerprints can be shown. I want to give you a word of advice. Don't look for a partner just with your eyes. Uh, those of you who are doing that, I'm not discriminating by age either. Whoever you are, you may be looking for a partner, praying for a partner, praying that God will bless you with the right person. You walk by faith and not by sight. And remember, the wedding is for a day, but the marriage is for a lifetime. Sarah Tillman, she's a blind Christian blogger. She advises, focus more on what they say, the emotion in their tone of voice, the truth behind their statements, rather than what they were wearing when you saw them last, or whether or not they were having a good hair day. Listen to them. If you want to know a person, listen to what they don't say. Look at what they don't do. Oh, some of you, you're kind of looking at me confused. Uh, look at the fact, if he doesn't pray, that may be an issue. If she doesn't pray or she is not connected to God. That may be an issue. Look, listen to what they don't say and what they don't do. Not only what they do, but go more by than by what you see. Go by what you hear. And don't only hear the words. You know there are more parts to you than just your five senses, right? Oh, some of you don't believe that. So what are the five senses? Sight, hearing, smell, Taste and touch. Those are our senses. That's what they tell us. 
But so what is the sense when you walk into a room and you can cut the atmosphere with a knife? What is it when you walk into a place and you know there's tension? And no one told you. Did you smell it? Did you taste it? You see, God's given you more than just five. Okay? It's a different sermon. But I'm just telling you that. Use that sense and trust it. Trust that God, if he has a part in your life and a role in your life, that God will impress you. Listen to the impressions even if they go counter to your wishes and your choices. Listen to God and engage all of who you are if you're looking for a part. But that again is another sermon. I just threw that in. Lot's decision to use only his sight and not divine insight was his first and most terrible, serious mistake. Although Sodom was fertile and extremely beautiful to look at, it was exceedingly wicked. You know the story. It was exceedingly wicked. When I looked that up, it says it was exceptionally wicked. It was immensely evil. And this is a dictionary definition. I was surprised to come across it. It says it was damn wicked. That's what the dictionary said. Now that's serious. Can you imagine a place or even a person who is exceptionally wicked, immensely evil, and damn wicked? This was an evil place, but it looked good. Interesting to note, Lot dwelled in the cities of the plain and pitched his tent towards Sodom. But after a short time, we realized that somehow Lot moved into Sodom. It's interesting something, you know, well, I'm not going to move down into there, but, you know, we'll just stay over here where we can see what's going on. <laughs> and before you know it, you're in the thick of the mess. You know, I, I'm, I'm not going to date him, her. I'm not going to date them, but I'm just going to, you know, I'm just going to get to know them in a group. And before you know it, you, you may be in the thick of it. Lot and his family were taken by invading forces as slaves in Sodom. This is before Sodom was even destroyed. Uh, Lot is rescued by his benefactor and uncle, because Uncle Abraham also had a small army. I told you they were wealthy. And they went in there, took care of the kings who came in and took them captive and released them. And what does he do after that? He says, Uncle, I've been a fool. You know, I know that God is with you. Let me tag along with you. I'll keep my herdsmen in check and so on. No, he moves back into Sodom. So you see, your choices are important because they have an internal impact on those you love and yourself. Finally, God himself sends a rescue mission to take Lot out of Sodom. I wonder if you can see the pattern. Have you ever noticed in your life if you live long enough, you don't have to be old. You have to be observant. There are cycles in your life. And sometimes you keep going around the same place and you won't matriculate to the next place because you haven't learned the lessons. Because you keep doing the same stuff. We keep doing stupid stuff over and over again and we don't move beyond that. What are you talking about, Pastor? Some of you looking at me. You know what I'm talking about. Children of Israel, I told you all these narratives are for, for us. Children of Israel went around in circles for 40 years. Same lesson. And they didn't move on until they learned it. Funny thing is they didn't learn it. Their children had to learn it and then they moved. It is possible to die going in circles. 
This is a serious thing. I don't know about you, but I want to grow. I don't just want to grow old. I want to grow up. I want to advance. I want to improve. I want to change. And often we find ourselves doing the same things with the same people in the same places. Sometimes it's a different place, but we keep orientating back to the same traps. Finally, God himself sends angels into Sodom and Gomorrah. And it says he did it because of Abraham. He did it because of his relationship with Abraham, and Abraham loved Lot, loved Lot. So God sent angels to get him. Now, Lot had a chance because his uncle already rescued him. But he wanted to go back. And he went back, and now God sent angels. You know how the story goes. The angel said, do you have anyone besides just you and your daughters in the house? He says, well, I've got some, some grown-up children and some of her betrothed and, and getting married. Genesis 19 and 14. So Lot went out and spoke with his sons-in-laws. He spoke with them because the angel said, go talk to them and get them to be in this house. Because if they're not here, they're all going to die. Because I'm going to destroy this place. God has marked it for destruction because it's so exceedingly evil. He went, went out and he went and talked to his daughters who lived in his household at one time. Talked to his family. And it says that when his son-in-law's heard him speak, they thought he was joking. You go look at a recent translation, it says they thought he was just messing around. They didn't believe that the place was going to be destroyed, so guess what? Lot's family, most of it, except for two daughters, he even lost his wife, died. Because your decisions are choices carry consequences. An everlasting impact on you and those who you love. Lot's choices literally destroyed his entire family. Even the daughters who were left were messed up. So after I've said all of this, you're thinking in your mind, so Pastor Hunt, what are the lessons here? What, what, what's the point? I'm glad you asked. You know, the secular definition for being at risk, because this is called Abraham's Lot, Lessons from a Family at Risk, is families and children who experience violence, unemployment, drug abuse, single parenthood, teen pregnancy, mental illness, and poverty. Is that right? It's about right. I'm, I'm looking over to Adam because I know the work he does. I want to share with you a few interesting statistics. A father's involvement using appropriate authoritative parenting, showing love and affection, Setting clear boundaries and expectations leads to better emotional, academic, social, and behavioral outcomes for children. I'm just going to let this float out there. Children who feel a closeness to their father are twice as likely as not, as those who do not, to enter college and find stable employment after high school. Can I go deeper? 75% less. If fathers are close to their children, 75% less. They are 75% less likely to have a teen birth. If fathers are close to their children, they are 80% less likely to spend time in jail. I said 80% less likely. Uh, they're half as likely to experience multiple depression symptoms, which means they have better mental health when their fathers are around. Now I'm leaning into fathers because these statistics are different with women, and normally 
the women are left to raise the children alone. So I'm talking to fathers. This is, I'm not picking on anybody. This is just the way it is. Children with actively involved fathers are 43% more likely to earn A's in school and 33% less likely to repeat a grade. Father engagement reduces the frequency of behavioral problems in boys. Father engagement decreases delinquency and economic disadvantages in life. You know, I can't stress that one enough. When a father's involved in the economic stability of his children, it changes the whole dynamic for them. Because there is nothing like growing up borderline poverty. Father's engagement reduces psychological problems and rates of depression in young women. So you mean to say all of these counselors and all this mental health stuff that goes on and all of the money and public funds that goes into that, that would be reduced if dads were around? Even non-resident fathers can still have a positive effect on emotional well-being and academic achievement of their children. The quality of, life of the father's relationship matters more than the amount of time. So even if you're not in the same household, you can still be present. Just make sure that you're available to your children and you're there for them on a regular basis. You see, when Lot left Abraham, what he really left behind was a loving, nurturing relationship with his mentor. And he wasn't through yet because Lot was not an old man. I don't know if anyone's got a mentor, but mentors are important in life. He left a man guided by God. He left his family for strangers. He left the umbrella of Abraham's blessing and his covenant with God. He left the presence of God for the company of heathen. That's what he did. He left the place of God's blessing and went to the place of God's judgment. He had no business being in Sodom. God already planned what he was going to do with Sodom. Lot didn't go there and, well, he spread the gospel. Because we like to make those excuses. You know, I'm going to go there because of you know, the Lord's work. Give me a break. Just go where the Lord sends you. And know that he's sending you there. Don't lift up your eyes. Wait for him to tell you, lift up your eyes and look. Here's where I want you to go. You don't believe God can do that? You believe it? Then wait on him. Wait, I say. Wait on the Lord. Mothers, fathers, sons, daughters, grandparents, brothers, sisters, aunts, uncles. Be careful of your career choices. Be careful of what influences you allow into your home. What kind of images and pictures and films, movies, books do you allow into your home? Be careful where you decide to live. Because your environment around your kids can have a deep impact on how they grow. Be careful of your friends, your alliances, your allegiances. Who comes around you? Who comes around your kids? Be careful of the ungodly influence you allow yourself and your children to be exposed to. Be careful of the absence of prayer in your home. Be careful of the absence of worship with your family. Be careful. Choose to be present with your spouse. Choose to be present with your children. There's a story told of a farmer. He hired a man to do a lot of work for him, and he told him first he would have to paint the barn. He said it should take you about three days to complete because it's a big barn. 
So he gave him all the equipment, everything that he needed. The hired man was finished in one day. Huh. The farmer asked him to start cutting wood, telling him it would be about four days. There's a lot of wood. The hired man was finished in a day and a half. The farmer was amazed at this guy. The next thing he said, well, I want you to sort out a large pile of potatoes. He had to arrange them into three piles. First pile was seed potatoes. Second pile was food for the animals. And the third pile was the good ones, good enough to sell. The farmer said, it's a small job. It shouldn't take more than a day. It shouldn't take a few hours. At the end of the day, the farmer came back and he found the hired man barely had done anything at all. He said, what's the matter? You're such a great worker. He asked him, and the man replied, I can work hard, but I can't make a decision. Some of you are working hard, but you're failing to make the best decision. <laughs> you're getting up early, and you've got two jobs, but you're making some bad decisions. You're hard workers, and you're sincere, and you turn up to church. You may have a ministry in church. You may work alongside the leaders in the church. And in fact, you may be a leader yourself, but you're making poor choices. Can't make a choice. Some of us are just working hard. The hardest thing to learn in life is which bridge to cross and which bridge to burn. And some bridges need to be set on fire because you don't need to go back that way. You need to keep moving forward. Our long-term decisions can become impaired by our short-term pressures. How many of you are going through short-term pressures? I don't know if you know, uh, but the economy is tanking. You know that, right? So we're about to face some difficult times. There may be some job losses. What I'm trying to say to you is that this is a time for you to lean in closer to God. Come close with your family, your faith, and start to put God first in your life so that God can tell you, lift up your eyes, look over there, I've got something for you. Look in this thicket, I've got something caught in there for you. Our long-term decisions, ladies and gentlemen, can become impaired by our short-term pressures. Sometimes we have to eliminate some good things we want in order to make room for some great things that God wants in your life. Now that's a hard one. Because you may think, well this is a good decision, you know, this, this, is, this is something I want, there's no evil in it, but you know, it's hard to make, to prioritize. Maybe that good thing isn't yet. You're not ready for it yet. It's for later. God wants great things in our lives. But you need to make a decision. Choose you today who you will serve. Whether it be God, and you know the man that's talking about is you. Have you become a God to yourself? That means has God become subordinate to your choices? Are you lifting up your eyes to see everything? without being aware that God is pointing you in a specific direction. Perhaps the direction he seems to be pointing in, as you engage your senses, and we forget about the five, and it, you get into your spiritual senses now. Uh, it's not quite what you want. It's not what you imagined for your life. So you're pushing against it because, well, I don't want to go there. I don't want to do that. 
But I want to assure you that God knows how you're wired because he wired you. And that it is better to choose what God is sending you to rather than to lift up your eyes and go where it looks pretty and beautiful. Some of us are doing that in our lives in such a way that we're making choices that we don't understand will bear fruit later on. We may not know how to handle it. Better to put yourself in the hands of a loving God than in your own hands or in the hands of a boss or a corporation or a promotion. Better to know that God is working to open doors than you are trying to kick open doors yourself. Force open doors. Burglarize doors and get crowbars to open to get yourself into spaces. Be careful, what I'm saying, of your ambition. Ambition isn't wrong. But be careful of the direction that it may take you. Make good choices. Some of us need to make a decision for Christ. Now, in case you think I'm just talking about those who have never accepted Christ, I'm including those of you who may never have been baptized before. But Paul made this statement, and I think it's important. Paul said, I die daily. Now, what he meant by that is, I'm a doctor in the law. I understand theology. I'm a died-in-the-wool Christian. But I recognize in me this rebelliousness where I have to surrender to the Lord on a daily basis. And maybe that's you. I know it's me. Maybe that's you. Maybe there's something in your life that you need to let go of so that God can take hold of your hand. Because when your hands are full of stuff, you can't hold on to God's anything. But if you let go, God can take your hand. If that's you, if there's something in your life you know you need to surrender to Christ, if there's something going on that you need to end but you don't know how to end it, I'm going to invite you forward for special prayer. That we will pray that God will open a way that God will begin to change the dynamic in your life. I want us to stand, those of you who want this special prayer, just to stand where you are, it's okay. Stand where you are. And if you just want to say to God, Lord, take control. Lord, I just want you to take control because I don't even know what's going on. I don't know what I'm doing. Just raise your hand. Just raise your hand. Our heads are bowed. Our eyes are closed. Heavenly Father, we are we are broken people. Truth be told, we get up in the morning and we get dressed and we go out and we look pretty good, but on the inside there is brokenness. Some of that brokenness has been there a long, long time. There are some wounds that we've experienced that haven't healed since childhood. They've been painted over there may be a band-aid or two above it, but it's still a wound. It's not a scar. Heavenly Father, we ask for you to heal our wounds and to make them scars. Because scars aren't painful. They may remind us of a painful experience, but they don't cause us pain. But Lord, some of us are in pain today because we are not healed. So Father, we pray that you would heal us on the inside. Lord, there are those of us who have stood, who know that we should renew our vow with you when they're standing to do that, but there are those who need to be baptized. And some of us may need to be rebaptized. 
Heavenly Father, I pray that you would speak to their hearts even now, that you would touch us. Lord, there are forces at work in our lives that cause us to make bad decisions, cause us to be blinded to your grace, blinded to your way, blinded to your voice. Sometimes we can't even hear you. There's so much noise in our lives. And you're saying, lift up your eyes and look. See what I have prepared for you. Here is the way. Walk in it. Heavenly Father, help us to do this today. The elders are standing and the pastor is standing. And Lord, they're ready to receive anyone who would come forward, would give their lives again to you, or even for the very first time. But Lord, we ask for your peace. Help us, Heavenly Father, to pull close to our families. Help us to make amends. Heavenly Father, help us to apologize, to get off our high horses, to stop being so proud, to ask for forgiveness. And even if all the wrong doesn't reside with us, help us to be the mature ones to make the first overture, take the first step towards reconciliation. Because, Lord, all we are is the sum total of our families and our experiences. So, Lord, pull us back together again. And for those of us, Heavenly Father, who may be isolated without blood family, we pray that this spiritual family would press in close. Help us to make bonds that are honest and true, where love and confidentiality reign supreme, where we are loved and protected and accepted for who we are. Heavenly Father, it's one of the biggest fears about being in church community is that we're afraid that people won't truly accept us if they truly knew us. But Lord, help us know today that every one of us is broken. Every one of us is jacked up. Every one of us has sinned. All of us have skeletons in our cupboards. But Lord, we present them to you now and ask for your healing. So hide us behind your cross. We prayed this prayer and we prayed that you would not let us leave the same way we came in. So Lord, please, let the blood of Jesus cover us now. Forgive us for our sins. Forgive us for our trespasses. Heavenly Father, wash us and make us clean once again. Help us put away the evil that is in our hands, the evil that may be in our homes. Help us to relinquish it, to let go of it, to turn away from it. And Lord, lead us anew to your throne. So Heavenly Father, we pray that the forces of evil would be stayed. They would be subdued and cast far from us. Those that tempt us into evil, those demons, Heavenly Father, would be put out of our houses and put out of our lives. We pray for deliverance today. Someone, Heavenly Father, is asking for you to deliver them, to deliver their son, to deliver their daughter who is not here. So, Lord, hear our prayers on behalf of those who are not here as if they were praying it themselves. And release them and bless them in the name of the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit. Let everybody say, Amen and Amen. God bless you.